0: My name's Scott, and I'm the pastor here at GRX, and one of the things I love about our church is the joy. Um, not often we have basketball hoops in worship, but I love how while we don't take ourselves very seriously, we take Jesus seriously, So we lead people to authentic faith in Jesus. Um, also want to do a little bit of a shout out. Something else that gave me joy was to see Pastor Casey and Sarah in the house, so I'm going to embarrass them a little bit, but they're right there. Um, it's good. And today we have a very special guest, Pastor Angela Yi, who will be preaching with us. And I love Angela. I had a chance to meet her husband, Albert, as well. They're here with our family. Um, so I, um, one of the things I love about our church, we're a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, 850 churches across the U.S. And as a pastor, I have the privilege of... Of being in this college or this uh, 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 group of pastors who are serving all over. Pastor Casey serving at Hillmar, and and Angela is a pastor down at Saddleback in Irvine. But it is just our church, our wider church, is filled with great people of faith. Um, I could go on and on about Angela, uh, songwriter. Uh, I won't do that. Okay. All right. Celebrated author. um, Really, really intelligent. Loves Jesus. Uh, And I've had the privilege of getting to know Angela over the years through the covenant. And one thing that ties her with our community is this last summer, um, just this last summer in Detroit, there was a big worship service where all the covenant church folks got together and we celebrated the ordination. To pastoral ministry. We had a giant worship service, about 800 people were there. Um, from our church, we know that Pastor Ali was ordained at that service, but also Angela was ordained at that service. And so we gathered together with people from all over the country and prayed blessing over um, all of these pastors that are serving all over. And so, Um, Angela is going to share the word with us today. She's going to be preaching on courage. But let's pray for Angela as she gives God's word to our community this morning. Lord God, I thank you so much for Angela and for her preparation. I thank you, God, for her faithfulness and her sensitivity to your spirit. And God, I pray that your words uh, would be spoken through her this morning, that your words and her words would be words for us. May we open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you would want to speak to us. Thank you, God, for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. It's so great to be here with you. I've actually heard about GRX for years because I used to be up at University Covenant Church in Davis. In fact, Stacy and Chris were part. So great to see you guys. Big shout out. So I'm very excited because uh, Pastor Doug was, I believe, interim pastor here. And then he went and he was interim pastor at University Covenant. And so I've actually heard about you for years, and he's raved about you, said they're just the most awesome people ever. So I'm so delighted, feel so honored that Scott invited us to be here today. And uh, this is my husband here on the side, and my mother-in-law, Maxine, is there, and my two kids, Megan and Daniel. And so I dragged them along <laughs> for moral support. Um, I would... I I hope you don't mind, but I would love to ask you to move closer because I'm going to be drawing and it might be hard to see what I'm drawing from the back there. So if you don't mind, you could just do me a big favor and just move a little bit closer um, because I do want you to see what the visuals are. So move this up here. Hopefully you can see it okay. So, I am going to start out with a confession. When I was a young girl of about seven or eight years old, my sister and I used to take the bus to and from school every day. And one day we got on the bus, there was a problem. A bully had stuck his arm out across the aisle and refused to let us go past. Well, I was the firstborn, so of course I was first, and I looked this bully up and down. I targeted the weak points on his arm, I calculated the pounds per square inch of pressure that would need to be applied for that arm to be removed, and I came up with a brilliant solution. I burst into tears and wailed at the top of my voice. <laughs> well, my sister, who was a year younger than me, behind me, she elbowed her past me, she glared at that bully, and then she reached out and gave a slap that could be heard around the world. Now, that bully realized that he was no match for this pigtailed fury, and so he wisely withdrew his arm. And my sister marched confidently down that bus aisle to her seat. But she was brought to a screeching halt when she heard me say behind her, Ooh, you hit someone I'm going to tell on you. (laughs) So by the time we got home, it was my sister who was wailing at the top of her lungs, and I was the one who marched confidently off the bus. You can see at a very young age that not only was I a coward, but I was also a backstabber. (laughs) So I think it's just the greatest of ironies that when Pastor Scott asked me to speak here, he said, can you speak on courage? Speak on courage, it's a piece of cake for other people. It's not wired into my DNA, unfortunately. But the good news is that the Bible has lots of examples of courage, and it's the ultimate authority anyway. And so we're going to look at that today. It's actually a story that's just crazy. It's crazy courage. But you might think it's actually sheer stupidity. You could be a judge of that when we're done. Okay. So I want you to take out your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, it's okay. We have the verses up on front there. And we're going to be looking at First Samuel 14. First Samuel 14. So the story that we are going to look at today happens way back early in the days of Israel when it first became a nation, and they had their first king, who was King Saul. Now at this point of the story, over in chapter 13, which we're not going to read, I'm just giving you some background, uh, Saul and and the people of Israel were faced with a huge, huge challenge. They were faced with a formidable enemy called the Philistines. And the Philistines were no joke. Okay, so this is what they were facing. So on one side of the ring, we have here Team Phil. And chapter, I believe, 13 tells us what they were facing. They had, the Philistines on their side had 3,000 chariots. And then they had 6,000 charioteers to ride those chariots. And then the Bible says they had soldiers as numerous as the sand, which modern-day researchers tell us is somewhere around seven quintillion grains of sand in the world. But who's counting? This is the Bible's way of saying there's so many soldiers, you can barely count them. So I'm going to estimate it was something like X to the N soldiers. right? So you add that up, and what do you have on the Philistine side? You have a lot of Philistines. That's what the Israelites were facing. Okay? Now, on the other side of the rig, we have Team Israel. And Israel starts out with 330,000 soldiers, which is not too bad considering what a small nation it was. But what happens is those soldiers take a look at the Philistines. They just start freaking out, and they run away. And so at the end, Saul does a head count, and he realizes that there are only 600 soldiers left. It's like 10% of the charioteers. That's really bad shape. To make it worse, the Philistines took away all their blacksmiths so that they couldn't actually make any weapons. So they do a grand count of the weapons in their army, and they have two. One for Saul, sword, and one for his son Jonathan. That is really, really bad. You can see what the difference was here between the two teams. Now, if you want to think of it in terms of modern day, it would be the equivalent that the Philistines are an M1 Abram's modern-day tank with a 120-millimeter gun. And the Israelites are facing this tank with an itty-bitty Popsicle stick. Do you sometimes feel that way? Maybe you might feel like you're facing a tank with Popsicle stick. I don't know what your tank is, it could be some kind of challenging circumstances in your life. Something with your job, with your family, with relationships, finances, health. You know what that tank is. And you might feel like all you've got is this popsicle stick. Feels hopeless. That was how the Israelites felt that they were facing this huge, huge tank with a popsicle stick. And you know what? It would be pretty hopeless if that were the case, if all there were were a Popsicle stick. And that's how the Israelite army felt when they were looking at that huge army across the way, except for one person. And so that's where our story starts today, in verse 1. Okay, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Okay, now at this point in the story, back please, one verse, yep. He did not tell his father. So at this point in the story, Jonathan is about, we think maybe about 20 years old or so. That was the age that men entered military service. And it says, he said to the young man bearing his armor, young man, the Hebrew word gives a sense, it probably was like a teenager or something like that. And so, two very young men. And Jonathan has this brilliant idea. He says, let's sneak over to enemy territory. Well, my kids are around this age, and as a mother, I look at this and I think, what? Are you crazy? Do you know what you're up against? Okay. And so let me list here all the reasons why this is a really bad idea. For one thing, this is a situation of two guys versus what pretty much would be infinity. Or it might as well be, right, if you think about the size of the Philistine army. And then it's not just like they happened to be strolling across the sidewalk and, oops, they stuck their toe into enemy territory. No, the Philistine outpost was three miles away. This was the deliberate premeditated action of going a place where he was not supposed to be. And then it seems like not only does Jonathan have a death wish... But now he's dragging his armor-bearer in two for both of them. This is a really, really bad idea on multiple levels. And I'm thinking, is this from an undeveloped frontal lobe in their brain? (laughs) Because the frontal lobe is where conscious and rational decisions are made, and it doesn't mature until late 20s. So I think this must be adolescent stupidity. It's sheer suicidal stupidity. Or, as my son likes to put it, they're really making bad life decisions. And to make things worse, Jonathan doesn't tell anybody where he's going. So let's see who he keeps in the dark. Let's go to the next verse. Saul, his dad, the king, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migrin. And with him were about 600 men. So that's all the soldiers. Among whom was Ahijah who was wearing an ephod. Who was, that meant he was a priest. That was what the priest wore. And Ahijah happened to be a son blah, 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 all these famous people, right? But in the end it says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. So Jonathan's actually a little bit more intelligent than his first statement has let on. He's no dummy. He knows that if he tells these 600 guys where he's going, they are going to do everything they can to stop him. So he doesn't say anything. Now, I'm looking at this verse, and I'm noticing, where are all these men who are soldiers? Saul, who's supposed to be the king of the country, the brave leader, who's supposed to be in the front defending his country and fighting against this very intimidating foe, is sitting under a pomegranate tree. And so we have here, we've got Saul, who represents the political power of the country, We've got the 600 men, they're the military power of the country, and we've got Ahijah, who's the spiritual power of the country. These are supposed to be the best of the best, and they are paralyzed, sitting under the tree, quaking in their boots. But there is one person who decides to take action, and that's Jonathan. And so he shows us the first thing about courage, and the first point is crazy courage begins with a choice. Did you guys all get handouts of the message notes it Okay, great. Crazy courage begins with a choice. Having courage means saying, I'm not going to let this fear paralyze me. It means that I can overcome this. I am going to take the first step. No matter how small it is, no matter how difficult it is, I am going to move forward. And that might take a tremendous amount of energy. Can you imagine... Jonathan sitting in the camp surrounded by 600 depressed, demoralized, discouraged men who didn't want to move an inch. How that might have felt like, but Jonathan didn't let that stop him. He did not let the other people around him weigh him down. He said, I am going to move forward even though it seems like the most crazy thing ever. All right, let's go to the next verse. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sena. And one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Giba. And so you can see there's two cliffs, one side Philistines, one side Israelites. There's a gully that goes in between. It fills up with rainwater during the rainy season, but there's a physical divide between the two. Now, this outpost that the Philistines are on is a really strategic location because they can access lots of different points. And in the chapter earlier, we actually see that. They're sending out raiding parties everywhere. Jonathan is totally sick of it. And you can tell by what he says next. So go on to the next verse. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. That's his way of saying these guys are total barbarians. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And so Jonathan's saying here, let's throw an idea. Let's head on over. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. He's saying perhaps the Lord is not this well, maybe God might help us cuz maybe he's strong enough. But what he's saying is he realizes that this must be an act of God in his life for it to be successful. And he is going to step out in faith. He's taking a big, big risk because the success of this will depend on if God shows up. And I can't help but think, Jonathan, wouldn't it just be a lot easier if you sat in your tent and drank coffee and ate bonbons and then waited for God to show up and then you could risk your life, right? That seems like the logical thing to do. But Jonathan steps out in faith, and so he shows us another step, another aspect of crazy courage. And that's that crazy courage takes initiative. Crazy courage takes initiative. It would be so much easier if we could just sit at home and wait until God's bandwagon rolled up to the front door, and then we could jump in because, you know, God's in it. That's so easy. But doing that would take no faith at all. And so a lot of the times God waits for us to take the first step You know, you have to go out there and step out in faith. You have no idea what is going to happen in the future because you don't know if this is what God wants you to do or not. But through this, what you can do as you step out in faith is you can trust in the character of God because that is something that you could depend on, that he is good, he is almighty, he is all-loving, and he loves you beyond anything that you can understand. And so Jonathan knows all this when he says, perhaps the Lord will act. That's why he is not afraid to take such a bold move. So let's go on to the next verse. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Talk about courage right there. This guy knows that this is a suicide mission and he's going to go with Jonathan. And Jonathan said, come then. We will cross over to the men and let them see us. And if they say, Wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So Jonathan's throwing out this fleece, right? He's flipping this coin, so to say, to see what does God want us to do. And so he says, if they say, climb up to us, we're going to climb up. And that means that God's with us. And I'm thinking, undeveloped frontal lobe? I mean, really? Is this really the best choice? Because think about all the reasons that this is really, really dumb. First of all, Jonathan says, we are going to cross over. And so they are being, they, this is an act of aggression on their part, right? They're, they're uh, crossing over into enemy territory where it says, do not enter. That's actually where they're going. Then second of all, he says, right here, uh, let them see us. They might will just say, let's just go ahead and paint a big target on our chest and say, hey, guys, use us for target practice. And then he says, if they say, come up to us, we will climb up. There's a big cliff that they have to go up, and they are going to be exhausted by the time they get to the top. And then he has to fight all these enemies. Like, wouldn't it just be easier if he said, come down to us? Okay, great, then God's in us. We don't have to do any work. But he made the harder choice. And here you can see a picture, go ahead and go to the next one, of what those cliffs look like. These are the actual cliffs that are named in this passage here. That is no easy task. That's what he would have had to climb. Now, some people think it's this gully, but it's actually a little bit farther down. So you can go to the next picture, and it shows what this looks like. And the reason they think it might be here is because there's a really big area that the Philistines could camp out in. But even so, it's super steep. I mean, this is a mountain. Think about Jonathan having to climb all the way to the top. He'd be totally exposed, right? No matter which scenario you pose, it was not an easy task. And so Jonathan shows here, though, why he is doing this. His statement says, the Lord has given them into our hands. He shows that crazy courage depends on God. That popsicle stick is not what he's looking at. Crazy courage depends on God. It didn't stop him one bit that he was the enemy, that outweighed them, that they would be pummeled to the ground. None of that bothered Jonathan because his dependence was on the Lord. And so whatever situation you're facing, God wants you to take your eyes off of this popsicle stick, take your eyes off that tank, and put your eyes on him. Because there is no cliff that is too high to climb. There is no tank, no Philistine that is too big to overcome. Because you know that God is with you. Jonathan believes this so strongly that he is willing to stake his life on it. And so we're going to go on to verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. look said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. Total insult. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. And so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And now we come to the last set of reasons as to why this all seems like a dumb idea. So first of all, Jonathan has to use his hands and his feet to climb up. That means that he can't hold on to his weapons. He's totally exposed. He can get shot down. The second reason is because he goes up first, and that means he's making himself the target. He is the one who is going to get shot down first, and he's the prince. They would kill the leader. The second reason is because he's going first ahead of his armor bearer. So if he slips and falls, or if he gets killed, he's going to wipe out the armor bearer as well. And so once again, they are going to end up dead. Nine reasons of why this is sheer stupidity. I don't know if you guys know that song. is dumb ways to die. You know that song? So many dumb ways to die, right? I think he, nine dumb ways to die. What in the world is this guy thinking? And from the world's point of view, yes, this seems like total stupidity. It'd be hard to believe that anybody would be willing to take on a task like this. And so Jonathan doesn't look at any of this. What he looks at is the Lord. Because he says, the Lord has given them into our hands. He's repeating this phrase almost verbatim from earlier in the passage. What does he base his courage on? It's based on God. Not once in this whole text do you ever see Jonathan saying anything about his own abilities. It's always talking about God's strengths and his abilities. And then what's also cool is that he talks about it like it's already happened. The Lord has given them into our hands. It's not the Lord will give, us, give them into our hands. He's talking about it like it's already happened. And so what Jonathan understands, that word, forgive, is similar to the word, uh, like, deliver. You know, it's like delivering a package or giving something. So it's almost the way that Jonathan thinks about it. It's like, God has taken those Philistines, and he has put them in a box with a big bow on it, and he is delivering that to Jonathan. Jonathan. That tank that you're facing, God's already put it in a box. He sent his son Jesus to give his life for you so that you can have victory over whatever that tank is that you're facing. It doesn't necessarily mean that your problem will go away. If you think about Jonathan, he still had to climb that cliff. He still had to fight the Philistines. He still had no idea if he would win or not. And so when you face challenges, it, having victory, having courage doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to go your way and that you're going to win, but what it means is that God is with you. He is giving you the strength and the courage to say, God, I'm choosing to trust you no matter what the outcome is, no matter how this turns out, because I know that you're faithful. And through it, God allows you to go through those circumstances so that you can build an even even greater dependence on him, and even greater heart of courage. So Jonathan's prediction comes through, and we're going to go on and see what happens. And let's chart out what happens here as we read these verses. Okay, so going on to the next verse, it says, So the Philistines fell before Jonathan. So we've got here Jonathan, he barges in, he starts killing off all these Philistines, and it says... His armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. So now we've got two guys barging in and killing the Philistines. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. Okay, so Team Philistine here, Team Israelites here, they are now down 20 people. And then we're going to jump a few verses down to verse 20. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. Saul saying, what's going on? He sees all these Philistines disappearing. So Saul comes in with reinforcements, and now they have 600 guys fighting in the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp, those are like the defectors that went over to the enemy side, Went over to the Israelites, they go back, who were with Saul and Jonathan. And so now we have more than 600 guys, right? So 600 plus. And then when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So now they have even more people, all those hundreds of thousands of soldiers that had left are coming back. No idea how many. I'm just going to make a wild guess of maybe there are 100,000, right? People fighting. They join the battle in hot pursuit. And so we find out later that they decimate the Philistine army for miles. And so this poor Philistine army loses tons of people. Say like X to the N, because I have no idea how many, but there were a lot. And then says, the Lord rescued Israel that day the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Is this crazy or what? What this shows us is crazy courage leads to God-sized results. Crazy courage leads to God-sized results. There is no way one guy could have done all of this. It was because God was in it. And it was tremendous and amazing. It had this multiplication effect. Started from one guy, Jonathan, here, with a heart of faith and a heart of courage. And all the way by the end, that last verse, it says, All of Israel was saved. The whole nation was saved that day. The only way that that is possible is because this is a God sized victory on a national scale. Courage multiplies, even the smallest act of courage. God will use it to inspire and encourage other people. There is a person in our church named Maria, and she is a volunteer who's in her 70s. And she serves so much, she might as well just be full-time. Well, Maria actually suffers from a bad back and has back pain. But she has such a can-do-it, positive attitude. It's just so inspiring. And so one day, we had this big storage room in our church. a total disaster. Nobody wanted to touch it, and it really needed to be worked on. And so Maria said, I'll take care of it. Well, there was no one to help her. So Maria went out, and she hired her grandchildren to come and clean out that closet. Now, Maria easily could have said, what is wrong with this place? How come nobody will help me? How come I have to pay for this out of my own pocket? But when I talked to her, she said, the Lord has blessed me with strong grandchildren. <laughs> it is such a blessing to serve God. Now, I'm not saying you should never say anything negative. My point is what characterizes your speech. Right here, Maria was showing that instead of choosing to focus on the negative, she chose to focus on where God was blessing her, where he was giving her strength. She didn't have the strength, but God gave her grandchildren strength. That, to me, is a heart of courage. That is super inspiring. And in fact, our staff team's really young, like mostly their 30s and stuff. I'm like the old person in the group, along with one other person. And we all say... I want to be like Maria when I grow up. But I wonder sometimes, why is it so hard to be courageous? Because often what it feels like is that you're facing the cliffs of courage. They're too big, too daunting to get to the top. They're too hard to scale. So I thought, well, courage is tough. It is an uphill battle at times. But why is it so hard? And I thought, okay, well, maybe it's because, well, what's the opposite of courage? It's fear, right? Maybe it's because we're fearful. And we're all fearful, even though we don't like to admit it at times. But then I thought, you know, I think it's actually something more than fear. There's something that we in the Asian American culture really, really value And it is the Creek of Comfort. This is courage up here. And that's comfort. Creek of Comfort. You could also call it streams of safety or streams of security, right? It's this whole idea that we just want to be comfortable. We want our kids to be safe and comfortable. We want our families to do well. Who doesn't love Psalm 23? The Lord uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. So, so relaxing, so nice. Who would want to choose facing off a tank with a popsicle stick? It doesn't make sense. So we all want to be comfortable, and I will confess that that is my desire as well. Now, I've already told you about how I'm genetically deficient in the courage gene, It's very evident at a young age. You know, I always follow my mom and hide behind her when I met new people. uh, I, when God first called me into pastoral ministry, I just ran away and for a long time didn't want to do it. And so right now I have a really, really easy job in a sense. I serve on a team where we have a pastor who's a really strong leader. He's super charismatic. He's great up front. And so I'm very, very happy just kind of hiding behind the scenes and doing things, and nobody knows who I am, and that's all good with me. Well, my pastor started saying something that just made me really, really uncomfortable. He said, leaders are present and visible. And my response was, well, leaders can be present and invisible. That's totally fine, too. That's what I would rather do. But over the year, I just felt like God was prompting me, and he said something that, I just really didn't want to hear it all. And it was, I gave you a voice, now use it. And so my excuse has always been like Moses. Like, oh, you know, God, sometimes I stutter. I don't like it when everybody looks at me. It's so great to have the lights down. <laughs> That's why I like to go handouts. I love to see people scribbling, right? It just makes me so uncomfortable. And then I don't like that weight of responsibility on my shoulders. Leadership, it's just a heavy burden to carry. And sometimes I feel so weighed down by it. No, I, I want this comfortable life. But God has been stretching me. And so he's helped me take this little step. I don't even know if it's called courage, but it's like, okay, God, if this is what you do if this is what you want me to do then I will trust you. I don't know if, if uh, Scott knew what kind of risk he was taking when he asked me to speak. I haven't preached in 3 years, and I have actually never guest spoken at a church before. So this is all, like all I've never like done this while preaching, you know. So you guys are my guinea pigs. So this is totally and experiment, and like, I just prayed a lot. So, okay, God, we'll just use it somehow, you know. And so, if it goes well, it's, it's totally God. And I don't say this because I feel like this is a great act of courage. I know some of you are facing really, really big cliffs right now, something that is just overwhelming, life sucking. And I can't compare what I'm going through with what you're going through. But the point is, we can't compare when it comes to courage, because. Sometimes I think we kind of minimize it if it's not something big. Oh, you know, I'm not battling cancer. I'm not having this terrible thing. I lost all my job, and I'm homeless. You know, So therefore, what I'm going through is just really not that important. But no, it is. No matter that size of the challenge that you're facing, it is important because it's God's way of building courage in you. It's his way of saying, I am teaching you to trust me. I want you to rely on me because that is where the source of true courage comes. So, I have today, I'd love to ask the frontline team to come up. I've brought you all a popsicle stick. And I'd like to take some time, a few minutes, that as the team passes these out, that you write on here what your area that you need courage is. Whatever you want to turn over to God. Now, It might be something small. It might be something big. And maybe you don't even have the courage to write this out because you don't want anyone to see it. It's okay. You can make a symbol. So at least you know what it means. But what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate these sticks to God and say, God, here's my popsicle stick. Because what God can do is he can take this popsicle stick and he can change it into a tool that will defeat the very armies of God and advance his kingdom. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they play... We'd like you to take some time reflecting, and then after a few minutes, I'd like to come up and pray for you about this.